as we're here on this day, we reflect on what Christ did on the cross for us. And in doing so, we remember the statements that he made from the cross, the seven words that he spoke. Throughout this service, we will look at each one of these statements and the significance of it. Our first word is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This first word comes from Luke 23, in verse 33. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The first of these seven words from the cross seem from their position in the record to have been spoken very early in this awful scene, probably as the nails were being driven into his hands and his feet. So we reflect on what happened there that day. If we could go back to this very moment, we could only imagine in our, in our minds what we would have heard and seen that day. We think of the people around Jesus. We think of the soldiers. There was always four soldiers guarding every person sentenced to death. Surely the soldiers would have, would have been accustomed to hearing the screams and the cries and the pleadings from the men on the cross. And of all the things that they ever, ever heard, there was none like this. None as incredible as this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. One can only imagine that they caught each other's eyes. Did he really just say, Father, forgive them? Who's his father? What does he mean we don't know what we're doing? We're professionals. Was he really speaking to us? If anything, it gave the soldiers pause. Even after this, they casted lots and divided his clothes among them. If we were to go back to this scene, we would understand that not only was Christ crucified physically, but he was abused emotionally as well. As we continue in the verse from Luke 23, it says in verse 35, the people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. The dialogue that Friday morning was very harsh. From the onlookers we hear, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. From the religious leaders, he saved others, but he can't save himself. From the soldiers, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. As one author wrote, bitter words, hateful. Wasn't it enough that he was being crucified? Wasn't it enough that he had been shamed as a criminal? Were the nails insufficient? 
Was the crown of thorns too soft? Had the flogging been too short? For some, apparently so. And looking at the scene, I, I wondered who would mock a dying man? Who would pour salt on those wounds? But notice what Peter said of this incident sometime later in 1 Peter 2.23. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So we notice what Jesus did not do when he was on the cross that day. He did not retaliate. He didn't bite back. He didn't say, come up here, say that to my face, or I'll get you, or wait till the resurrection. He didn't say any of that. But notice what Jesus did do. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Or more simply, he left the judging to God. He did not take the task of seeking revenge. He demanded no apology. He simply stated, Father, forgive them. The question is, is who was this prayer for? Who was this very first statement for? Who was it directed to? Was it to the Roman soldiers? Was it to the Jews gathering around? Was it to the religious leaders? It would seem that he would refer to them all. Because all of them knew not what they were doing. The soldiers were simply following orders. The religious leaders were carrying out a sentence of something that was not true. The crowd of Jews were just following the mob scene. They didn't know what they were doing. It would seem clear that the Jews did not believe that he was the Savior, that he was the one promised by the prophets, that he was not, in fact, the Lord of glory. If they had, they would not have crucified him. Because we not, cannot suppose that anyone knowingly would put their own Messiah, their own Savior, their own hope of a nation to death who had been long ago promised by their forefathers. So the question is, what do we learn from this prayer? Four things. First, we learn the duty of praying for our enemies, even when they are endeavoring most to injure us. The duty of praying for our enemies, even when they are endeavoring most to injure us. Our first inclination as believers, as ones who have been forgiven, should be to forgive others. Christ was up there paying the penalty for our sin, forgiving our sins. Forgiveness is the key of spiritual unity in the church because it's the key to love and meaningful relationships. We forgive others because of how much Christ forgave us. That's why Lord Herbert, who, who said, he who, cannot, he who cannot forgive others breaks down the bridge over which he himself must pass. So as Christ forgave, we should forgive. We may be inclined this moment to say, well, that's easy for Christ. That's who he was. That was in his nature. That's what he came to do. But let me remind you of another man who forgave, who faced the religious establishment, who was given a mock trial, accused of blasphemy. It was Stephen, the very first martyr, and as Stephen was being accused of blasphemy, as he was given a mock trial, as he was being sentenced to death by stoning, it says in Acts 7, 
while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, so full of grace, modeled what Christ did as we should do, as we endeavor to pray for our enemies, even as they are endeavoring to injure us. The second thing we learn is the power of Christianity. No other religion teaches to pray for forgiveness of enemies. No other disposes them to do it. Men seek revenge. The Christian bears reproach and persecutions with patience. Praise that God would pardon those that injure us and save them from their sins. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that we are disciples if we love one another. Love begins with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the mark of a truly repentant person. Forgiveness that is received from God and given to others. The Puritan writer Thomas Menton said, There is none so tender to other as they which have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God had dealt with them. The power of Christianity. The duty to pray for our enemies. Thirdly, we learn that the greatest sinners, through the intercessions of Jesus, may obtain pardon. So we look at the stories, we go back to the scene. We see the people there, the religious leaders, the soldiers, the Jews gathering around. We think, how could anybody ever be saved for killing Christ? How could we ever receive a pardon? There are so many in this room today who are here who are thinking, there's no way that Christ could ever save me. I've done so much wrong. I've gone so far. Understand that we cannot make up for what we've done wrong. We cannot earn our way back. It's through grace that saves us. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing that we could have done. No way to earn our way back. Christ's death on the cross is what has saved us. That's grace. So the greatest sinners through the intercessions of Jesus may attain pardon. The power of Christianity. The duty of praying for our enemies. Finally, we learn the thing that, that which we should pray for is that God would pardon them. Notice what Jesus said. Father, forgive them. Oftentimes, this passage is translated as, we need to be forgiving, and that's it. But Jesus looks beyond that and says, Father, forgive them. He's the only one who can. He's the only one that can pardon us. Our responsibility as believers is to help others recognize that, that it's not through works, it's through grace. For those of us who have children, 
We understand when our children make mistakes. When they are young, it's easy to forgive because they are ignorant. They don't know any different. Our job of parents is to teach them the responsibility, to teach them understanding. Does this mean that we don't become angry or outraged over the injustices of this world, though? Does it mean we ignore our feelings when people act contrary to the gospel or intentionally hurt us? What do we do? We can't deny that our anger exists when we look around our world and see these injustices going on, but a good option is found. In Luke 23, when Jesus speaks of the mob, have you ever wondered how Jesus didn't retaliate? Have you ever wondered what kept his control? The answer is the second part of the statement, for they do not know what they are doing. It's as if Jesus didn't regard them as a, as a militant mob, but a sheep without a shepherd. They didn't know what they were doing. It was done through ignorance, as it says in Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Ignorance does not excuse altogether a crime if ignorance is be willful but it diminishes its guilt. They might have learned his character. They might have known what they were doing. They might have held, been held answerable for this, but Jesus shows here the compassion of his heart as they were really ignorant. Whatever might have been the cause of their ignorance, he implores God to pardon them. He even urges it as a reason why to be pardoned. They were ignorant of what they were doing. So God, in his compassion, overlooks it, averts his anger, and grants them blessings of a pardoned life. So he forgave Paul, for it says he did it in ignorance and unbelief in 1 Timothy. And when you think about it, those people gathered at the cross hadn't the faintest idea what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing, and they could never forgive themselves. Only Christ could pardon them. In the most part, many people today don't either. Many people today are still sheepless, shepherdless sheep. Many can't keep from evil, from hatred, from warring with others. Paul spoke of all humanity when he said, I do not know what I am doing. Now, I know this doesn't justify anything, but does explain why people do miserable things. The point is this, uncontrolled anger won't better our world, but sympathetic understanding will. Once we see the world and ourselves for what we are, we can help. Once we understand ourselves, we begin to operate not from a posture of anger, but of compassion and concern, helping people recognize how lost they are. Sheep without a shepherd. How the foolishness of trying to earn your way back, reminding them that, Grace comes from him. There is something about this understanding about the world that makes us want to save it, even to die for it, as Christ did. Isn't it amazing how Jesus, whose body was racked with pain, his eyes blinded by his own blood, his lungs yearning for air, but speak on behalf of some heartless thugs and is beyond comprehension. Church, I've never seen such love. If ever a person deserved a shot at revenge, Jesus did. But he didn't take it. Instead, he died for them. How could he do it? I don't know. 
But in looking at this moment, it seems that my wounds seem very painless. Those that have done, done me wrong seem to vanish. And my grudges and hard feelings are suddenly childish. Sometimes I wonder if we don't see Christ's love as as much in the people he tolerated as in the pain that he endured. Church, that is love. That is truly amazing love. As we come to a time of prayer, I ask you now, whatever your custom is, whether sitting or kneeling, we're going to come to our Father in prayer now. And as we reflected what he did on the cross for us, I want you to take a moment in the silence of this service to see yourself kneeling before him. Oh, the love that he showed. Oh, the compassion that he had. The forgiveness that he gave. Merciful God, grant me yet again your forgiveness. Forgive and cleanse me from my sins and blot them out of the book of your remembrance. Give me faith so to lay hold of your own holiness and so to rejoice in the righteousness of Christ, my Savior that resting on his merits rather than on my own, I may more and more be conformed to his likeness, my will becoming one with his in obedience to your will. All this I ask for his holy name's sake. Amen.